This episode is sponsored by Whoop. If you don't know what Whoop is, it is a fitness tracker. You've probably seen it on the wrist of guys like Rory or Justin Thomas, Tiger, Scott Stallings. And they're using it to track a few different metrics. One is strain. The other is recovery and sleep. And from what I've seen, what I've heard, most people talk about recovery and sleep as being these metrics that they're really enjoying diving into. Recovery is really simply how well you're ready to perform the next day. The more that you're recovered, the better you can perform at your peak. It's a stat that is worth tracking, and I've found a lot of value personally and from what I've heard other pros talking about with me of how they're using it. Whoop is a sponsor of the podcast and has given us an awesome discount code. You can use GSL to get a discount when you pick up your Whoop band. And we also have a Whoop team, which is awesome. So everybody in the Golf Science Lab community who's picked up a band, we can kind of see what everyone's doing. You can make this into a game and try to get to your best when it comes to sleep and recovery and what you're doing with strain. So you can head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Whoop, and there's a code that you can uh, enter in and join our team. It'd be really fun to get everyone who's picked up a Whoop band involved on that. So make sure to check that out. And Whoop.com, code GSL for discount. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey, welcome back to the Golf Science Lab podcast. Hope you're having a Good Players Week this week. Really fun conversation with John Tillery. He is one of the coaches out on the PGA Tour all the time, working with great players like Kevin Kisner, Scott Brown. And we're going to talk stories of player development in this podcast. So some of the keys that he's seen working with those players that have helped them take it to the next level. Really fun conversation. This is actually back from the trip down to the top 100 summit that golf.com hosted. And I just wanted to share this because it was a really good chat. Enjoyed getting to know John a little bit um, and talking through some of his work with players. So let's dive into this podcast. And if you have not, so I'm going to go check out over on YouTube. We have the off-season project, which is trucking along. We're, we're three episodes in, worked with Jackson Court, and we put together kind of a a really basic look at what to do getting started with your golf season. I know a lot of folks, it's getting warmer. You're getting back out and playing some. So this gives you kind of a step-by-step things that you should do when you're getting started with your season. That's over on the Golf Science Lab YouTube channel. Check that out. Let's uh, let's hear from one sponsor and then get into this conversation with John. This episode is also sponsored by Super Speed Golf. Super Speed Golf is one of the makers of the best training system to help you swing faster. And they've just come out with a brand new product called Super Speed C, which is all about helping you increase your hand and arm speed by counterweight training. This is brand new. It just came out. I've been testing it for a little while. Super curious about this. We did a webinar with the guys. Uh, you can see the recording over at golfsciencelive.com slash webinar to learn more about Super Speed C and what it's all about. I think you're going to definitely want to do that as it's training something that I'm not sure if we've been able to train before on the golf swing. So golfsciencelive.com slash C to get all the details. Born and raised in a little town and just an hour and a half or so east of Atlanta, Georgia. Golf swing junkie my whole life. Wanted to get real good. Uh, worked with anybody and everybody that I could and hmm. kind of got obsessed with it and never never got better. And 
it just kind of snowballed into a into a job and then into you know into some better players and then had some success with some guys and now it's um kind of rocking and rolling trying to trying to make people better and stay out of trouble who are you so you said you went to anybody and everybody for you know your swing junkie who are some of the the mentors that you had then or some of the the people that you went to along the way oh man i've seen i saw them all i mean i've had kind of had two lives in the side of it one as a player and then and then one as a coach you know so i've had a bunch of guys a lot of the guys that are you know there a lot of them are here this week that have been huge in my career and been mentors to me but and a lot of it was me a lot of it was me and my process wasn't a, necessarily a coach wrecking me um <laughs> i got i've had you know i got a mirror i look in first but I learned a lot from that too, and you know I wouldn't change anything if I had it over. Does a lot of your playing experience influence your your coaching? I think so for sure. Yeah, because you know you want to you want to kind of right some wrongs, and when you get some some kid in there, I kind of see myself when I was sixteen or fifteen, and just would have done anything in the world to to get better. And um, you know, so you kind of want to be that person that you kind of wish you had, and. So yeah, I enjoy it, but it's it's definitely in there. I mean, I think that I know for me as a coach that the only reason I try to work on my game at all is um I do a better job as a coach when I'm kind of into it a little bit, working on my own stuff. You have some feels, you have some ideas, you're kind of driven by it versus it just being a job. So let's start out with the story. You worked with Kevin Kisner for a while. Now, you started when he was on the the web, is that right? Yes, I think it was 2013 maybe. He had won, I believe, like Chile or something. So he had a tour card and was headed to the PJ Tour and was like terrified, kind of, you know. So I started with him in 13. I actually started with Scott Brown. I worked with him before Kevin. So they're really close friends and both live in Aiken, South Carolina. So live in the same town, play the same course. And I was working with Scott before Kevin. And so I'd go down and kids is super competitive. So I'd be down there and then um, Brandon was beating up on him and. He was struggling a little bit, so that didn't go over real well. So I started working with kids about, a, I don't know, probably a year after after I started working with Scott. And then, you know, Scott had won, Scott won Puerto Rico, I guess, three, four months or something maybe after we started working together. And then um, me and kids kind of fought out of the weeds a little bit. And then he had a, you know, huge year in 15 and just kind of kept got, getting better from there. So. so diving into that, what do you think were the separators from being good to being really good. And like in his case? Yeah. Well, I've told the story a million times, but he, uh, I knew that he was a little wired a little different when the first time we worked together, he was whacking him off the hill and, you know, struggling pretty good. And he's, he just told me, it's like, if you just give me the right stuff, I'll win out there. And, you know, and I was like, win out where, you know, and, uh, but he's always had that kind of confidence and, you know, he's always been tough little kid cookie and he's a and he's always been a great putter so i guess that when he started understanding his patterns and i mean changing them is one thing's hard enough but when he totally had his head around what i need to do to get better what i need to do to fix it what that looks like and then when i get out there under pressure and i start hitting crooked shots what they mean when i when i feel this what that means and a way to kind of survive when he doesn't have his best stuff you know that was a huge thing with me with him is like you know we're gonna keep getting better but you can't let a couple bad shots or when you feel like you don't got it, that doesn't mean you can't play well. Right. But no, he's been a killer student. What were the biggest changes you made? Was it technique wise or are there some changes that you, you needed to make or? Yeah, mostly, mostly technique wise. Like I said, mentally he's other than being hard on himself out there. He's, 
he doesn't need a lot of um, a lot of steering around as far as that goes. But yeah, we just had to make some fairly significant changes in his golf swing. Um, he was had a whole bunch of things that made him real steep and inside out. So he's sticking the ground and hitting it off the hill, and you know he's he's people act like he hits it two forty or whatever. But it, I mean he he still pops it out there pretty mm-hmm. good. But on you know the tour just every year is a next generation of freaks, and um, so he didn't hit it. He's a guy, he's still, he's got to drive it straight. The short game's got to be tight. And um, just in general, he can't be hitting wild shots, right? So that was just kind of killing him if you, you know, driving it wild. And you can only bail a short game, only bail him out so much. What are some of the ways that you make technique changes like that? Like, are you a big, like, feedback person? Like, hey, avoid this or try to feel this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I spent uh, spent the first two, three hours, say, with him and most, most people that I work with, talking about it and explaining it because until they until they conceptually understand it and kind of own it especially those guys it's got to be their idea you know if it's just me telling them to do something that never works so if i can get them caught up and on the same page with me as soon as possible then before long they're telling me what they're doing and they're kind of helping coach themselves and they they have some ownership in it too and then i think once that diagnosis is kind of made then you put it on them to exactly what you got to do every day but there's a lot of there's a lot of training. There's a lot of looking in mirrors. There's a lot of physical work that goes into it, and training in the gym more so than than standing over range balls. Hmm. What, what kind of stuff do you do in the gym? Or like, what does that mean? Well, just kind of depending on what patterns are. It's just like trying to build somebody to move more efficiently. So it's not really just specific to a seven iron, right? So the more environments I can create that kind of bully them, move them more towards functional patterns that I need them to do in the golf swing the better so then the then moving even beyond that the trainers and the guys they work with on their body are are, are like integral are super important to me so i've never really understood how some guys don't maybe if you're a coach and you don't even know the the guy that you know your students going and they're working out with every day it's like what if they're slinging med balls around exactly backwards of the way you want them to you know so like that 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 thing has to be cohesive and um so yeah and a lot of it's a lot of it's training it in the gym, no doubt. So you said that I use a lot of different environments to you know change a swing. I I love that phrase. That's if you like if you thought about that, like what is what are some of the different environments you use, or like why do you have that approach? Like that that's a cool little phrase. I like that. Yeah, I mean, we were at some summit somewhere, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a sports psychologist, and this is a way botched redneck version of what he said. But he basically said, he basically said, you know, I went to Went to him, caught him offside, and got talked to him. And basically said, "Hey, we put a bunch of hours in this. Real passionate about it. Work real hard. I want my guys to get better, faster than everybody else. So I want to work smarter than them. I feel like my information is as good or better than anybody else that we'd be competing against other coaches, instructors, teams, whatever. But how do I accelerate that learning? My guys faster. And he's, you know, it's basically like, well, what does practice or what does a lesson look like?" You know, and you give them the rundown, which is basically like probably what everybody else would have said, pretty vanilla. And um, and he's like, well, you know, you can't, what you're doing is you're standing there for an hour telling somebody it might seem like a small change to you because you do it every day, but, or you talk about it every day, you're kind of numb to it, but for the player, for the student, it's like you're trying to tell them how to run backwards, right? It's like, so you stand in there and tell them to run backwards for an hour. And then at the end of the hour, you video them running backwards and pat yourself on the back and say, congratulations, you've learned how to run backwards. And they pay you and they walk out the door and they hook a left and there's a grizzly bear. And they ain't running backwards, right? So, and that stuck with me for a long time. It's like, you know, when it gets into that fight or flight, when it's time to go, 
whatever's most hardwired pattern you got to survive, like that's what's going to come out. So worse yet would be for them to try to be out there telling themselves how to run backwards. So basically people never either lay down the patterns to run backwards, so to speak, or they go out there and try to tell themselves how to run backwards. So those different environments I'm trying to create from whatever the pattern it is in the golf swing, trying to break it down where it's, you know, it's kind of pass fail where it's hard to do, or sometimes you're kind of forcing them into where they can't get away with the way they want to do it. And you just stick them in there and it's kind of like, go over there and do that. And I'll come back and call me when you can get it kind of thing. Any lessons you did this past week that we could, that you could like talk through, like how that looks now or like how you go about doing that? Mm, this past week, I don't know. It's deer hunting and football and sitting around fires okay, and the past few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it looks probably the way it looks way different with those guys versus say, um, the regular amateur. And that, and that's the hard thing about, and they do a lot of stuff with just coaching in general. And yeah. The environment that like typical instruction in our lesson is so broken, right? And you just can't help. You can't change people like that. So to be honest with you, like I just, I've kind of moved away from that style, but so I have a specific one from say like an hour last week, but what I generally try to do is go, here's the, what's your capacity on what you can do and what I'm working with here and the time they got to put into it, set up a, make sure they understand what the plan is totally. Like they don't even start until they don't have any more questions basically on what and why. And then I just tell them you need to ask why until this makes sense to you. And then set up a training in a physical environment, kind of in the gym. And then, you know, the technical would be them doing a lot of stuff, mirror work, kind of correlating it to golf. And then just the testing it would be, it's going straight down the golf course. So, I've tried to get my guys off the driving range, you know. So many great players have been around, just can't finish a bucket of balls. And all the searchers are videoing every one of them. It makes a ton of sense that you do that kind of format. Do you get, like, pushback from people on that at all of, like... Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I'm getting old and grouchy. I don't yeah. care <laughs> anymore. So, it's like, this is how it's going to be. Because I know it works, right? Cause, yeah. And it's not like I'm some genius. I just flunked at it myself doing the polar opposite way. And then... Because you, you grew up just hitting a ton of balls and, like, oh, just doing... Yeah, lived with it. Channel yeah. 2 News, video cam, VHS thing. Yeah, yeah. Make your buddy hold it over the shoulder and video it and go back, stick it on TV, draw lines on the TV, you know, from VHS tapes. And uh, so, yeah, I was always junky into it, but it's just... I mean, I was totally blind leading blind, you know. I didn't know what I was looking at, and even if I did, my process was so bad it wouldn't have mattered. So... So yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting journey, but I know the way that we do things now works. So And you saw like in yourself when like thinking back on that, like were you not able to progress because it didn't like hold up when you got to tournaments and like or like what was what was the problem that you faced because of that? Yeah, so I basically never really changed much anything, you know. So it's like I beat myself in the dirt. But I mean everybody's seen it, you know, every twelve handicap at every home course in the world. I tell people all the time, they come take a lesson, I'll point some out on the range. I'm like, you got any, do you have, before we get started, like, do you have anybody like this at your club? So this guy's a 12 handicap. And if we walked inside and looked at his GHIN three years ago, he's going to be somewhere from a 10 to an 11 to a 12 to a 13 or 14. And you can come back here five years from now and he'll be on this range. And guess what? He's going to be a 12 handicap. And it's like, why? You know, how is it the only sport where like nobody, if they do what a coach tells them to, how do they not continuously get better, right? So it's either my fault or their fault or our fault. 
So your process has changed that you take people through over the years yeah. based on that conversation that you had with that, that psychologist. Yeah. It helped, it helped me a lot. Just out of necessity. Cause you saw like, Hey, this didn't work for me. Right. I got to yeah. figure something else out. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, and, and at the end of the day, when I started taking whatever percentage of my business is working with some of the best players in the world, it's like, well, it's a small world out there. So it's super competitive. So I'm like, how am I going to get my guys to beat their guys? You go through the same process with them. Mm-hmm. Then you're trying to get them in the gym, get them, you know, on the on the range, get them out on the course, trying to go through that as well to make sure that what you're working on is transferring. Right. And you're just trying to get them to own it as fast as possible, right? So it's like they have to have that ownership in, here's my job, here's your job. And if you do everything exactly like I write it out and you don't get better, then fire me. But other than that, that's on you. So what what does a plan look like? Like if you were writing out a plan for, for any of those guys, like what, what does that look like? Yeah. So I guess short version is it would be uh, knowing it is what the goals are within say their motion, right? Or in the golf swing physically. So it'd be written what, out. What kind of changes do you make or what would that sound like for one of your guys? Like what kind of change, like motion changes are you trying to make? So you get, I mean, there's a laundry list, right? <laughs> but you know, people in weird, um, weird pivots and weird arms and compensations that they're having to make to manage club faces. And do you look a lot at like are you looking at different data, like a force or pressure data on the ground? Yeah. Or, or like, is there one that you use more than than another? Like any mm, tech? I mean, I've done it all, had about everything, and put guys in 3D and the whole deal, and like, and that's awesome to see. And then I think, but. The more I've done it, you generally kind of get, like, at the end of the day, it's like standing there and watching where that ball's going is what matters, right? So trying to relay, trying to put those things together. This makes this and where the sweet spot is in that and um, make a decision to kind of bite off what you think's most important without getting too crazy. But, yeah, I use 3D. And, you know, TrackMan's awesome. It's kind of a that's kind of a parameter. That's kind of like a little... uh assistant coach for me when I'm not around I can throw that behind them and they have ranges and you know kind of when start slipping this way or that way what it probably means and uh but video is still my eyes and ears yeah. you know if I had to have one of anything if I could t- keep one piece of equipment it'd probably be my phone gotcha so, so you've got all that feedback and you're you're deciding what change you need to make how do you decide when when to make a change uh, I think everybody, anybody that comes wants to get better, right? So we're going to jump in there and figure it out. And it's not always, I think you're always going to strive. You're always going to train people to, to to go and take care of their business every day. And that would be training like the most efficient way I could do this. And that doesn't mean that they're going to look that way tomorrow or swing that way. But I want them to train that way. And then I think a lot of it too is just jumping in and taking a deep dive in. It's like I was saying with Brody stuff, like it's interesting to me to, Go, hey, we're always going to be trying, anybody that comes to them, always going to be trying to make their motion more and more efficient. But what is it that's actually stopping my guy? Like, where's the low-hanging fruit on me running him to the top of his little bracket, so to speak? And then it's like, once you get in the top of your class, so to speak, to get up a notch, that's hard. If we do our job getting to the top of where we're at or what we think that we could be as as is, should be pretty easy. Doesn't always work that way, but... Any data driven, any swing changes for any of your guys lately? Yeah. You know, I, I have, I love like the, the scoring, the strategy kind of things on stats, but then when it comes into, there's so many variables, right? Yeah. So if you get guys that are really good at numbers, if they wanted to make a case for something like you could make a way to say anything you want to say, 
so I guess when you get down to it, it's like a, the, the, the big stat for me is money list, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good stat. It's a good stat. <laughs> a- so if, uh, if I keep running them up in that money list, um, stat, they don't much care about any of the rest of them, to be honest. You know, it's like we look at that one first before we even, it's like if that one's good, then they can keep the rest of them. And then we, we start on page two once we don't like what page one says. Yeah. Right? What, what would be the first ones that you look at after money list that first? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously I think it kind of depends who the player is. If you have, uh, so you take something like driving accuracy for some guy who's a monster, not that worried about it. Sure. Right. And uh, vice versa, the other way around. And then I think that, um, you know, to me, any and all short game stats are kind of where I go to first. Hmm. Why is that? Well, I just, I mean, it's hard teaching bad putters, man. Hmm. You know, you get some guy that decent, decent little golf swing, just doesn't really have a handle on what it is he's doing. And he's just kind of sloppy and his, all his stats are hundred and something and greens, proximity, blah, blah, blah. And he's an awesome putter. Got adequate speed. Well, that's a... That's a good gig. You know, that's the guy you think feel like you can make good. The guy who's top five in putting and top ten in scrambling and loses his card every other year, that's tough. And the tricky thing is, like, it's just so subjective. It's like, why well, I like to – the stats mean way more to me once I've worked with a guy for a while and I know who it is and I know their process and I know what I'm dealing with because you don't know what these guys' strategies are – it's like who knows, right? Week to week, what the courses are, the greens are. It's like maybe that maybe they missed that green. Maybe it was, maybe they picked a bad target. So once you kind of know you guys' tendencies, I think then the stats, you know, can help paint a little clearer picture of which direction you need to get need to go. But I have been on both sides of it. Like I said, I've been with guys where there's no doubt. Look at these stats. If we do our job, they should get better. And then I've been on the side where maybe that job didn't get done, and then the stats can paint whatever story, you know, somebody might want them to say. So it's a good indicator, but, uh, whew, them boys start swinging better and scoring better. And that money list number goes up and I don't pay as much attention to it as it used to. So you kind of look at, at swing first, typically then you're like, how can I get this motion more efficient? Yeah, I do. And I've got, I love short game, but you know, it's like when you can kind of build a little bit of a team around you or it's a, I know the team thing's big, and it's hard. That's a yeah. tough little. It's a tough world for average golfer, for an amateur, or for it's one thing with tour players out there playing for. Well, you know that's a. It's like why in the world would you want to get in the middle of that ring and fight without a corner yeah. to come back to a bench to sit on between rounds and um, people tell you what to do. But it's a tough. That's a, that's tough just financially, right? It's tough for the average yeah. golfer. So you got to kind of have somebody that can help you a little bit in all areas. But I kind of keep the majority of my work in the full swing box. Mm-hmm. And lean on some short game guys to help me with the guys that need it um, on that end. And then it's good because we get on the same page and it's kind of a two on one. It's kind of a mom and dad. You run to one and like, we'll do what your daddy says <laughs> and vice versa. That's uh, that's probably one of the best analogies of a team-based <laughs> coaching approach that I've heard. That's right. I think we should use that one uh, to describe it more often. <laughs> you should do a session on that here. That'd yeah. be great. That'd be great. Um, okay. So I, we got sidetracked there. I, I, Took you away. We were talking about your process, right? So we talked about, yeah. you know, getting more efficient, making a change. It's kind of step one is making the decision to do that. I mean, this is this is the art of coaching, but like, how do you decide what to work on? Like, you know, there's so many different things, so many places you could start. Like, how how yeah. do you figure that I out? I think personally? in a from just say just say from a golf swing standpoint, 
the order of me is like what kind of what I hate the most or what I think is hurting them the most and then backtrack it from there and go to kind of the root cause. So it's like, what could I change or help this guy train out of that would kill the most birds one stone? And then, I mean, obviously from person to person, you have to kind of, so we're talking about before, you have to, you have to kind of know who you got in front of you. You have to decide if you're okay with not doing it exactly like you want to, or if that player's just not going to fit your mold. And, um, and I've learned after 10 years or whatever of going to 20 something tour events a year for however many years in a row now that when I get the right people in front of me that want to do it the way I want to do it and our relationships the way I need it to be, then I can help them. And I've just learned that like I can't, if, if, if that's not what I got in front, it's like, well, we're probably not good for each other. Nothing wrong with that because it is hard at that level to make somebody better kind of half in. Or just kind of hanging around the range with your arms crossed, watching them hit seven irons. Like, that ain't going to get it, you know? No, absolutely. But what are the signs, like, if, if someone's listening to this, they're they're a golfer, they're a normal golfer, or maybe they're a super competitive golfer. I know we have a bunch that, that listen to this. Like, what are the signs that you're not with the right coach, all right? Like, for you, what are the, some of those things that are like, this, is, this isn't working? Like, what are right. some signs of that? Um, I'd probably... <laughs> I mean, I, the most obvious one for a player would be to, to look at am I playing better or not. But then, you know, especially at the level I'm talking about, yeah. they're, they don't, they're not so good at looking in the mirror before they, you know, fire, shoot the coach. Yeah. But if, 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 if they're doing their job and not getting any better, well, obviously that's not a good thing, right? And then you might have to dive a little deeper in there. But what I, what I notice a lot of times is just do you know what can you tell me in 20 seconds what you're working on? Like, or when you hit this shot, why? Because, I mean, that, it's impossible, right? It's like if there's no plan, no, no goal in mind, and somebody gets out there, pull a hook in it coming down the stretch or whatever, and has no idea why, it's like, well, then maybe we're not doing our job if we're not changing and making that come up. But if you're out there and don't know why that shot happens or how to throw a Band-Aid on that deal to get this thing over with and get back to work, then I'm not doing my job. So understanding concepts is important. I think it's huge, yeah. Yeah. So you, you work on that. So after you kind of have that initial session where you're working part of the process, like what's, what's the next part of your process after well, that? Yeah. So, I mean, you hope, hopefully you go from teacher to coach real fast. Hmm. Right. So it's like, I want to be a teacher for a short period of time with them. And then everybody jumps on the same page and then I can be their coach and I can just kind of keep them between the lines yell at them when they don't are doing something quite right and you know pump them on the back beat them in the chest when they're doing it good but that's pretty much the that's pretty much the two-step plan is like teach them and then hopefully you're coaching them from their own and i think as they get better you know you just have to keep you can't ever let these guys are even competitive golfers at home right they always want to keep everybody wants to keep getting better so i think you just have to as they as they get better you have to keep pushing them pushing them pushing them making it harder and harder for them to be successful that's good advice, man. I believe you have to run off to a photo shoot now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been fun to hang out and chat with you. I, it's been cool to go inside your inside your mind, inside your world a little bit, and hear what you do and, and why you do it. I think it's uh, I think it's some cool insights for sure, and it's working. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, if people want to follow you, where's the best place? Instagram, Twitter. Uh, yeah, I got Instagram. I think it's um, at J Tillery Golf. I believe we can confirm um, that. Yeah, you. yeah. There's no hardcore. It's more of a humor page. Try to keep it light. We but, like humor pages. Yeah, that's good. So, but yeah, you can find me there and Twitter. I believe is the same. 
Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. 